This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 4, Episode 18. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 18 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Hey there, Lynn. So today we're speaking with John Ewing and Megan Roberts from Math for America. Math for America was founded in 2004 and has created fellowships for accomplished mathematics and science teachers. Their model is based on the belief that collaboration, continued learning, and genuine respect enables teachers to grow professionally and provides long-term career satisfaction. The purpose of the organization is to build a community of STEM teachers who make a lasting impact in their schools, their communities, and the profession at large through collaboration and continued learning. Math for America works to improve teacher retention nationally by establishing a network of independent programs modeled on Math for America that support communities of accomplished mathematics and science teachers across the country. So a little about John and Megan. John joined Math for America in early 2009 as president. Before joining Math for America, John served as executive director of the American Mathematical Society for nearly 14 years. He previously was professor of mathematics at Indiana University, where he also served as chair of the department for two terms. Megan is the executive director of Math for America, having joined the organization in 2015. Prior to Math for America, Megan was the executive director for the Office of Innovation at the New York City Department of Education. Megan also previously served as a New York City network leader and spent several years as the director of science for Region 9 schools across Manhattan and the South Bronx. She's a former science teacher, staff developer, school administrator, and a researcher. Welcome to the podcast, John and Megan. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Thanks very much. 
Oh, it's a pleasure. We're going to look forward to having this chat about mm -hmm. Math for America. So to start off our conversation, uh, let's learn a little bit more about your work and tell us about the big ideas behind Math for America. So so the biggest idea, I think, is is maybe the simplest idea. We we focus on we focus on excellence. We focus on what what works, and we don't focus on things that are broken. Um, and that, in this case, we're focusing on teachers. We try to find the best math and science teachers we can find. We're pretty careful about how we do that. We do it in a sensible and and carefully thought out way. And we bring them into this community and then um, watch what happens when you take really accomplished teachers and put them together and give them a chance to, to work together. And finally, the, that sort of brings me to the last part of the focus, which is that we focus on the profession. We, we want to create an environment in which um, those very accomplished teachers can actually work as professionals and, and grow professionally as well. So I love this idea of elevating the, the teaching profession and really focusing on that, the positive supports um, that we can provide teachers to, to improve the profession. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, that you, you focus on finding uh, specific kinds of teachers. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your process and, and what is so special about that. Thanks for saying we're special. Um, <laughs> uh, so our, our, our process, our, we, we run a fellowship program in New York City, to be clear. So it's a, um, so our process is like, like other fellowships, there's an application process um, in which we seek teachers in mathematics and science, and science is a broad term. Um, in I think similar to your viewers in Pennsylvania, in the state of New York, there are a variety of licensures in science. Um, and we welcome all of those science teachers to apply for our fellowships. Um, and we have two main fellowships. We have uh, one program for teachers who are um, early in their career, but who are already teaching and show an extraordinary promise to the field. And then we have a very large fellowship for what we call master teachers or teachers who are already highly accomplished and are interested in continuing to grow and maintain their career in teaching at the same time. And so it's a four-year fellowship. So teachers apply, they're accepted, and when they're accepted, then the sort of commonalities to other fellowships that you may know about sort of we veer left a little bit because our fellowship is founded um, on the belief that the teachers really run the fellowship. And so in New York City, we're a community of slightly over a thousand teachers large. Um, and what we do here is we're really intentional about community and it at its core is uh, what John and I refer to a lot is a mini university. So our teachers take courses here. Um, throughout their four years and those courses range in a variety of arenas um, of content, pedagogy, technology, leadership. Um, but the, the sort of crux of it is that the teachers themselves are the ones that both design and decide what goes into these course offerings. And in the majority of the courses, the teachers themselves are the facilitators of the courses. So our community 
sort of simply stated is run by the teachers and it's a peer-to-peer, teacher-to-teacher community of both learning and leading. Can I just add one thing that sure. I, I they, um, the, the courses sort of range over everything. Some of them are content, some of them are pedagogy, some of them have to do with policy. Some might be about you know, teaching English language learners, but others- National board certification. Yeah, national yeah. board certification, but others are, um, are really on math and science oh, yeah. and, and on advanced math and science. Uh, even the ones, of course we bring in some university faculty and other, other experts as well, but even some of the more advanced courses are run by the teachers themselves. These are really truly talented people that know the subject very deeply and um, and are they're just they're really experts. And as a consequence, I think they come to think of themselves as mathematicians and scientists, which is unusual for teachers. Yeah, and we don't think about when we say courses, we don't think about lots of there's lots of banter in the educational space around professional development, professional learning, growth mindset. These are all terms that we're all really familiar with. I think, here, we, we don't think about any of our courses as a training for anything. There's, we sort of shun away from anything that builds in an expectation that because someone's learning something, there needs to be anything beyond that. So none of our, none of these courses that the teachers run or participate in require them to then do something explicit unless they're interested in it. And so if you can envision, if you've looked at our website, you can see a lot of the types of courses that John referenced, but they're really courses that the teachers are interested in learning more about, or they're courses that the interest that the teachers themselves are interested in leading around. They, they, they are not courses with which teachers say, I, I need to do this in order to be better at my job. All of the teachers in our community are already really good at their job for this community, for them as a professional community that allows them to continue growing professionally. It allows them opportunities to either continue leading. Um, and I'll be interested in what you're, definitions of leadership. I know that you probably do lots of these conversations around teacher leadership, but for us, it's about opportunities for teachers to lead amongst their peers um, while maintaining their classroom practice. Um, And so it's really about, it's much more about them more than it is about what we think they need. Yeah. I, um, it seems like the way that you're describing this, that you've got a culture there that really, um, I don't, know if I like the word empowers, but it has created this culture that allows um, teachers to really own their learning and to grow professionally and really support them. And I'm curious, you mentioned it was a four-year fellowship. What happens at the end of four years? Because I can imagine being part of this network and uh, suddenly after four years, I don't have access to this or what, what sort of, what sort of, sort of post fellowship <laughs> opportunities do you provide? I'm just curious about that. Yeah. Oh, I, I'll do brief and then you can go longer. We don't think of it as post. Um, it's a renewable fellowship. And for us, the four years is a, is a juncture of pause to say, how's it going? How's the four years been? Are you benefiting from it? Are you contributing? But the fellowship is renewable. And I would also say, I think you say ownership. I say efficacy. Same idea, right? Like I think the idea is that teachers can, yes, there's autonomy and ownership. But underneath of that, I think the real core of it is that these teachers are together for four years, eight years, 10 years. And so 
the relationships that they can build and the um, sort of trust they can build in each other happens over long periods of time where those relationships are, are deeply rooted and meaningful. Yeah, and I think, um, of course, we're, there's a practical matter. We're, we're about a thousand teachers and we're gonna stay about a thousand teachers. So we wanna make room for, for other people to come into the program. So it is tougher at the end of those four years to get renewed requires a little more than it did the first time round. In mm -hmm. fact, we, we want people to be really engaged in the program in various ways. And I might also say engaged in trying to bring the ideas that they learn here to their schools, to the outside world, so that the, the culture that develops here at Math for America sort of creeps out into the, to the rest of the, the school uh, throughout New York City. Um, but even if somebody decides that they want to do this for four years and then it's a lot of work, by the way. So they might want to, at the end of four years, decide, well, now I'd like to put more of my effort into some of the other things that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I think part of what we're doing here is to try to develop, we're, we're cultivating this different kind of view of the profession, which is, um, is more active, is engaged in the subject, is, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't help but always say, this is the way university faculty behave, right? The university faculty take seminars and colloquia, they're active learners, they're always trying to get become more engaged in the subjects that they teach, if they're good university faculty, not all do. Even in Germany. But, <laughs> even in Germany. <laughs> but um, but we're, we're trying to give the teachers themselves an opportunity to sort of see what that kind of professional life is like uh, and to, to, to get, get, make, it, make it seem reasonable that that's the kind of professional lives that they would lead even after Math for America. Mm -hmm. So as you do this work, you're really centered in some very powerful core beliefs um, that you hold at Math for America. And, and in doing some research on you, um, you have some pretty powerful statements there. Teaching is a true profession. Great teachers are always learning. Excellence comes out of the deep collaboration and ongoing growth. And great teachers are trusted professionals and honoring greatness elevates the profession. Talk to us a little bit about uh, what those core beliefs um, look like as you're delivering or facilitating this fellowship opportunity? Yeah. I mean, can you envision it? I mean, I think they're, it's not rock. I mean, I, with all, I, that's the way education should be. So I think as much as those core beliefs are strong-willed, they're sort of common sense, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think that this is how education should be. And I think we're just committed to walking the walk. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it traverses all corners of what we do. So I think some of it is implicit. Some of it is explicit. Um, some of it is cultural. Some of it is a feeling. Some of it is what's, what our letterhead says. But I think it's <laughs> it would take days because mm -hmm. I think it's just there's a strong belief in what what teaching and teachers are and what their contributions are. And So any you know, one of those five beliefs, I think, um, if you read it separately, most educators would say, of course, that, that makes sense. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine anybody 
negating one of those. Sorry for being a mathematician here, but I can't imagine anybody saying teaching is not a true profession. Um, or the only one that's maybe exceptional there, and the one that I think actually carries the most weight, is the one that talks about trusting teachers. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is um, this has become over the years sort of my bugaboo here. I, I think everybody wants to say that they respect teachers and they respect the teaching profession. But, um, but respect without trust doesn't actually mean anything at all. And I think if you look at a lot of the programs, especially some of the federal programs that talked about respect for teachers, um, it was pretty clear that, they, that respect was a pretty shallow word for them. Mm -hmm. For us, when we say we trust teachers, we, we make that real here. You know, the teachers come in and they get to decide what it is they're going to do. We don't tell anybody what to do. Um, of course, they can, they can propose running some three session workshop or something like that. We, of course, we vet that. and We, we try to make some, some rules and make some decisions about which, what people can do. But but we give them enormous latitude here. We really trust our teachers to make good decisions. And, uh, and they, um, they, they earn that trust. They, there's, there's no, no question here. I mean, they're, these are really, anyway, these are people who are real professionals. I think the thing that's been missing in so much of education reform, at least when it comes to teachers, is, is the idea that we, we really and truly need to trust the teachers in the right way. I don't mean that every teacher can go in and teach whatever he or she wants to in the classroom. Of course, that doesn't make any sense. But we have to trust teachers to be in control of their own professional lives if we actually want to make teaching into a real profession. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the moment, we're still, as a country, we really find that hard to do. Yeah, and I think that, you know, Megan, you say that those statements just seem to be common sense, and, and we would totally agree with that, too. But I think the dominant conversation around education and around teachers doesn't always reflect those things. So I think that's what seems to make your organization stand out uh, amongst others, is that you're really cutting through that dominant conversation and, you know, planting your stake around some really powerful statements about honoring and valuing uh, this critical part of, of the education process. So let's take that a little bit deeper and looking at the kinds of learning opportunities that you are offering to math and science teachers, what do, what do those look like and how, how do those ex exactly reflect some of those, those powerful statements um, that we talked about earlier? Yeah, I think it actually does loop back in with one of our sort of values and this idea of, in addition to trust, we, we talk a lot about this capital C collaboration. And so we've actually, over the years, developed our own sort of professional development structural identity, meaning we offer, um, just to be literal for a second, each, we put out a catalog each semester of courses. That catalog is the sort of culmination of what the teachers say they wanted to learn and lead and teach. 
Um, there's about 170 courses that we offer each semester. Um, but just to clarify that a little bit, they're not sort of university length courses. They're usually a series of two to three hour workshops that happen in sequence. So a typical course is maybe three to four workshops over the course of a month, just to give you sort of a Mm -hmm. mental headspace about that. So we have about six different formats of courses, depending on the type of course it is. Um, and we've worked really hard to talk to the teachers over the years and develop our own best practices for community-driven professional development. So within that, and those learning opportunities is um, this idea of collaboration and the deprivatization of teaching practice. I think that the large majority of our course structures require teachers to co-facilitate. So there's very few courses here where there's just one person teaching the class. That's sort of a very pointed piece of our belief system. Um, so that's one. Two, we really bring the, the course structure sort of requires the teachers to we call it deprivatization of practice. Sometimes I struggle with that as being a mouthful, but I think mm -hmm. what that means, right, is that as practitioners, the teachers have a belief and an interest in not keep, in sort of sharing what they're doing and being willing to receive feedback from their peers. So whether that's bringing literal lesson plans or literal student work or just conversations that they've had with students or other teachers in their school, they bring those to the metaphorical table and those are the pieces of discussion around what the course focuses. So we believe strongly that in order for teachers to truly collaborate, they need to actually be vulnerable enough to share what they're doing in their classroom and be able to allow people to reflect on that. Mm -hmm. um, and and there, there's, you know, and beyond that, I think we also really don't ever assess a teacher's knowledge here. So we talk about courses, we talk about a catalog, but there's no judgment. There's no, there's no grade. There's no, you know, there's a lots of feedback, but there's, we don't, we don't seek to pass judgment on what someone has contributed or learned. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of the looseness of the kinds of formats of our learning structures. If you look on our website, you can see we've, We've, we've documented some of those on there. There's things called mini courses or PLTs, as we call them, um, year-long courses and, and things like that. But our courses stay very close to our mission. And so we are very much a community of mathematics and science teachers. And so many, many, many of our learning opportunities are in advanced mathematics and science, pure content. Um, many of our teachers teach those courses, as John said before. Many of our colleagues in research and academia and just experts in the field um, either live in New York or we invite them to come to New York and they teach these courses. Um, and then we offer courses, obviously, in pedagogy. Um, and then there's a plethora of other sort of types of learning opportunities. Um, but I would say about every semester it changes because it really depends on who's raising their hand about what they want to teach and what they want to learn. So it's, it's constantly evolving and it's, it's the opposite of stagnant, I would say. So you've talked a lot about building community um, across your fellowships. You know, how does that leak out into building community for, for our public school teachers in your fellowship and beyond, uh, whether they choose to renew or they go back to their classrooms or they focus on, um, something else in their in their career pathway. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, so we're trying to be more, um, well, we've used the word em empower and deprivatize, I should now use. We're trying to be more intentional mm -hmm. about uh, 
people use all the jargon today if we consider it. <laughs> it's like jargon bingo here. Um, so we're trying to work harder at helping the MFA, the Math for America teachers, to sort of take what they're doing here and bring it back to their to their schools. So, so we have one of our PLTs is a, a professional learning team. So one of the these sort of workshops is about how to run workshops back in your school. Um, we had uh, last year, and I guess we, it's continuing at the moment, we have a video club where people take videos. The idea is not to try to document great teaching. The idea is to just learn how to watch video and make sensible comments about about the teaching, sort of to, to be thinking deeply about what's, what's there. And again, we're running uh, a seminar in how to run that kind of video club back in your own school. Um, more and more, we're trying to sort of bring, to help our teachers bring that back to them. But it's a fine, this is a fine point because if, if we, we wanna be careful not to require people to sort of go back and be missionaries, we would rather have them be emissaries of this, mm. these ideas in bringing them back to their school so that they don't feel that they're, that they're being compelled to do it. So it will take time. It will take some effort. Um, but, but over time, it will happen, and it will happen in a variety of ways, I'm convinced. Um, one of the powerful things about Math for America is that we, we have here people from high schools and middle schools and even some elementary schools. We have people from the sort of the most prestigious schools in the city, the ones that are called exam schools. And we have people from some of the toughest schools in the city as well mm -hmm. and from all the boroughs. So it's, this, is a, this is a mixture. And the fact that we've mixed together all of these very accomplished teachers from all these different schools, uh, both math and science, high school and middle, exam school and not, that's one of, the, one of the ways in which we sort of take the culture of Math for America and begin to extrude it out into the rest of the education system. Uh, and so it, but it will take time. It just takes time for this to, to, to work. There's not, there's not going to be a, a recipe that mm -hmm. just sort of brings it to each school in the, in the city. Mm -hmm. So some of the certification areas that are the shallowest in terms of, um, the interview pool can be in the math and sciences. Uh, as you know, I think some people really have to have a dedication and a passion for teaching and not be attracted to some of the other math and science professions that are out there. So, you know, from your experience creating this network and providing these support mechanisms um, to really elevate the teaching profession, particularly in math and science, what, what could we be doing um, to address this sort of nationwide problem of uh, a, a low a low, a small pool in the math and sciences um, of, of people who want to go into teaching. Mm -hmm. Randy, what what did they tell us last week? Um, we had thirteen teachers certified across Pennsylvania in the area of physics, right? It's, some, it's something pretty low. I mean, that's <laughs> for a big state like Pennsylvania. Wow. Too. Yeah, physics has always been a mm -hmm. been a tough one. Although it's it's getting better, but it's uh, 
but it's it's still a tough area. It's the lowest in New York City as well. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we help fix yeah. that? Um, yeah, I I mean I sound like a broken record here, but if you if if you're good at math and science and you're talented and you can do lots of things, um, of course you could try to go get a job at Google and make a fortune and. Uh, but the truth is people, people who end up thinking about teaching do it because they, because they feel called to do it, because they have a talent, they, you know, they, they love the idea of teaching. Teaching can be a, a great profession. Maybe the, it's the most satisfying in many ways when you really connect with people. But if you don't treat people like professionals, mm-hmm. if you don't, if they sense that they don't get the kind of respect that they want and that the people around them want, then, then they won't stay, they won't go into teaching or if they do, they won't stay in teaching. Mm-hmm. And I would say that for many people in math and science who do go into teaching for all the right reasons, they tend not to stay because they look around them and see other people they know who who have that respect in other jobs, um, and uh, and it, it just won't stay. We have we had one of our teachers. We have a big gala every year. Um, we always have one or two teachers speak at the gala. And a few years ago, we had one of our very talented teachers, a young woman who graduated from MIT in mathematics, is now teaching mathematics in middle school, and she is spectacular. Mm-hmm. And she told the story of going home after seven years of teaching, of going home at Thanksgiving, sitting around the dinner table and having her family ask her when she was going to get a real job. Mm. I mean, this is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. This, this woman is as accomplished in her profession as anybody I can think of. And to have that happen to her sort of tells you what what the problem is nationwide mm-hmm. in trying to keep the best people we have in, in the profession. I would also say to, to be concrete too, I mean, if the question is what can we do as a country, John's absolutely right. And I think underneath of that, there's, you know, I think that teachers leave the classroom at alarming rates. We all know the research. I, I think one of the main reasons teachers leave, we could talk about money all day. We could talk about lack of support, all those things. But I think one of the things that is a huge reason that teachers cite nationally why they leave and I think why they don't leave in New York is because they feel isolated, mm-hmm. right? So so creating community is actually not expensive, by the way. Um, it, it, you know, like <laughs> any school district in the country, any school, any neighborhood block, any family, community is free. Um, but I think it needs to be intentional um, and teachers feel alone, particularly in the math and sciences, where we know that something like 85% of um, uh, principals across the country don't have degrees in mathematics or science. So if you take the inverse of that, guess what? There's math and <coughs> science teachers in every school across the country. And so, so often the, the community-based learning opportunities that teachers have at their school don't satiate their need to be in a community of other mathematics and science teachers. 
mm-hmm. nor do they have opportunities repeatedly and in an ongoing way to spend time with mathematics and science teachers. So I think that as a country, we could stop isolating teachers mm-hmm. um, and we could build communities that are intentional and for long durations of time. Mm-hmm. I think some places in the country do that better than others. I think beyond the simplicity of community, I think, um, you know, I think if John and I had our way, there'd be programs similar to ours across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think a light touch of community is easy, but an intentional community around learning and reflection is obviously harder and takes much more structure and time and money. Um, but it's it's where our country could go if we wanted to be optimistic about getting to a place where there weren't teachers like the one John just spoke of. I think teachers need to feel respected and part of respect comes from what your peers think of you. Mm-hmm. And that sort of moves to what the public thinks of you. And then ultimately we could have a time when the profession is more respected if the profession respected itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two things I wanted to make sure. I realized that we we didn't explain in the beginning, uh, um, and your listeners may not realize this, that when we say this is a fellowship, we actually compensate the teachers for the time that they spend in the mm. community. And that's, a, that's an important part of mm-hmm. what we do. Um, again, all too often in education things, people do something wonderful for teachers and then expect them to use up all of their spare time because they have so much of it to, to, to do whatever it is that they have in mind. But we pay our teachers $15,000 a year hmm. uh, uh, so as a stipend. And, uh, and that's, that's meant to honor them. It's, uh, it is a fellowship. They, you know, we believe that that in some sense they've earned that by their accomplishment, but it also helps to compensate them for, mm-hmm. for all the effort that they put into the community, mm-hmm. which is substantial. So it's, it's a little bit of all of those things. Well, and it's also a differential. I don't know what it's like in, in Pennsylvania, but in New York City, $15,000 is loosely the difference between a seven to 10 year teacher and a 10 month assistant principal. Mm. That's the sort of salary differential. Mm-hmm. So for teachers, highly accomplished teachers who are very professionally satisfied in the classroom, but they're being wooed into administration and the and if they're only interested in going into administration is because they would like additional compensation, but they would actually really like to stay in the classroom if they could afford to, our fellowship creates an opportunity for them to continue Mm -hmm. doing what they want to do without the sort of need, for lack of a better term, to to take a job that they might not actually want if it weren't for the salary. Yeah. Thank you for making that point, John, because I hadn't realized that either. And and I think that's sort of walking the walk of really showing the value and, and the respect um, for the profession. That's, that's absolutely right. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a necessary part. We, we always focus on the community because that's, in some sense, that's the heart of the matter. But the compensation mm-hmm. is, is pretty important as well. Yeah. And, and, of course, it makes the program expensive. So. Mm-hmm. So as as we wrap up here um, in our conversation, which has been very interesting and something different for our listeners and for us to learn about, what do you see as the big picture goal for Math for America? And, you know, how do we move to change the way we think about teaching in America? Um, Yeah, well, we hope within the next six months. That's a joke. So, no. So anyway. We're snarky in New York. You do. Yeah. We're okay. good. Well, I'll pause for a second so no. you can cut that out. Uh, 
but so our so our goal, you know, we really feel passionate about mm -hmm. this. In some sense, we're talking about two two big programs today and a few other small ones here. The big one is here in New York City. We have a thousand teachers. This is unusual because our program is is privately funded, mainly by the Simons Foundation. And, uh, and that's a great luxury, and it gives us a chance to experiment and do what we want to do. But our, our mission, our goal, is to try to build this kind of idea into the education infrastructure across the country. We were successful in New York State. In New York State, they have a program with 900 teachers that's mm. in various, in nine different regions around the state that's built exactly on our model, that does the same thing. It's publicly funded. It's funded by public money, and it operates essentially the same way that we operate, although because parts of New York State are very rural, it, they, they've figured out how to make everything work in, in a variety of settings. Our aim is to try to get programs like this in every state across the country. It doesn't have to be, indeed it shouldn't be, 100% of the teachers brought together into a community that sort of makes it vapid. But to pick out some fraction of the teachers, here in New York City, it's 10%. Mm -hmm. uh, of the math and science teachers, I would say it should be beyond math and science, but I'll stick with math and science for the moment. <laughs> um, and just across the country, if we had 10% of the math and science teachers in such a program, there are about half a million math and science teachers, that would be 50,000 teachers it would change math and science education across the country. Mm -hmm. hmm. And that could be pretty powerful for all of us. It would, mm -hmm. but, and I think we would, so we would like to convince every state to create a program like this that was part of the infrastructure of education mm -hmm. in the state. If you wanna spend money wisely on things that you call professional development, I can't think of a better way to spend those dollars. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. I've just enjoyed engaging in it as well as sitting back and, and listening. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think one of the, the things that is uh, fabulous about what you're doing is you're elevating the profession of teaching. And, uh, you know, that's not, that's not the dominant conversation that we have uh, in our field. And I'm inspired to figure out what we can do uh, to help help with that. So I think you're a, you're a great role model for that. Yeah. So thank you for the conversation. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks. you so much for joining us. And to learn more about John and Megan's work, you can visit uh, Math for America. We'll link that in the show notes, as well as consider joining their Facebook group or checking them out on Twitter. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. And this episode's question, how can you support your teachers in their professional growth? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or access the resources mentioned here, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season four, episode 18. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another episode featuring some conversations with other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, John and Megan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.